Let's go and pray. Father in heaven, we want to just say thank you for how beautifully your spirit weaves every thought together. And thank you for this last hour that we've been in your word and for the, the thoughts that have sunk in. But Father, my prayer is that nothing I would say would uh, remove or distract us from applying the things you've just taught us. And Lord, I ask that anything I say would only be uh, uh, an affirmation and encouragement and add on to what you're already speaking. And Lord, if I say anything not guided by you, I would ask that you wipe it out of our minds immediately. And Father, I ask that only the name of Jesus Christ gets any glory. So as we head to your word once again, speak to us, change us, and I pray for fruit that remains for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go and turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And as I mentioned briefly last night, we're going to be going on a journey of seeing, uh, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ from a variety of angles and seeing how he's altogether lovely. But this is not going to be a time of mere encouragement. I, I believe serious exhortation because there's a response that's necessary. And you're also going to see just how beautifully the Holy Spirit prepared the feast for this morning because there's no way that Ken and I could have taken James chapter 1 and John chapter 2 and planned for months and seen a message more perfectly come together. So I'm not changing the topic whatsoever from what we've been discussing for the past hour. Now, we're going to notice in this passage, when we actually get to it and begin reading it, that this is the first of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Uh, And when we see the first of the signs, I, I, I know that in our world today, if there is a presidential candidate, um, and, or any candidate for that reason, when they're announcing their candidacy, when they're first promoting their campaign, they are very intentional with every detail that is involved in that presentation. The location, the venue in that location, the people they want standing next to them, the things they're going to say, every detail is vital because it communicates something that they're about to share. All right, well, that's, that's fair. Um, how about another example? Another example is, uh, or I guess a year and a half ago, I uh, decided to propose to the girl that I wanted to marry. Now, if you actually just saw the way I proposed, I'm not going to go into it. You'll see I proposed underneath a Delta 747 that was about to take off to Tokyo, and it's on the tarmac of the Detroit airport. Now, if you know anything about 9-11 and you know about security and TSA and the United States government, you know that kind of thing does not merely happen. I didn't get to the Detroit airport and say, hey, can I go down on the tarmac? Can I stand under the 747 that's about to leave for Tokyo? And can I propose to my bride? Oh yeah, can you pick me up in a Porsche by the plane? Can you uh, have a, a bouquet in the back? You see, can you have the Delta Lounge prepared with all the businessmen ready to celebrate with us? Can you have it flashing on your board? Like, can you just make that happen? No, you know that Delta Airlines put a lot into the preparation for that moment to occur at the precise time that my plane landed from Houston. They picked me up plane-side. They have the back prepared. They have upstairs prepared. They have employees doing their job. They know this is about to happen. Now, that's just for one man, one woman get engaged on planet Earth in mere time. Now, imagine the Son of God. He comes to Earth, and he is about to unveil his first sign Do you really think that any detail in this portion of Scripture, and I would agree with all portions of Scripture, but would you think any detail is random? Oh, no. So as we read these 11 verses, let's read it with awesome reverence. 
Let's read it with incredible detail and absolute respect and honor to the word of God, knowing that there is not one haphazard detail and every bit is vital to our understanding of why this would be the first sign of the Christ. So John chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were there six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. And we're so thankful for it. Now, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to give you just a a little outline. And that's for navigational purposes, all right? That's not what you're going to take away and be thinking about. But we're going to see three things here. The first thing we're going to see is the invitation. Then we'll see the incident. And finally, we'll see the importance, all right? So walk through this with me, the invitation. And let's look at what this invitation entails. Three things that we'll kind of focus in on, but watch out. These three things are intended to be self-examination tools for the Holy Spirit to convict our lives. Let me just say it like this. Uh, I, I, first, I'm going to speak from my perspective, and then I'll, I trust, speak exactly what the Lord has here. I just want to say, I, I'm tired of smart Christians. Now, I don't mean smart Christians is a bad thing. I'm saying I'm tired when it ends there. We have so much knowledge. We all know that if you eat and you eat and you eat, Well, that's good in a sense, because in your lifetime, you need to eat a lot to survive. But if you don't work out, it's not exactly the healthiest thing. And it's not about smart Christianity, it's about obedient Christianity. Obedience to the person of Jesus Christ. So as we look at the invitation, let's look at three aspects of it. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is Jesus was invited to attend the wedding. He was invited to attend. In other words, he came on the invitation. And, and actually, even more than that, in that day, if you were coming to a wedding and you were, in, or you were invited to attend a wedding and you didn't come, it was a disgrace to the couple itself. And so he was invited to attend the wedding. But, but let's just uh, pause there. How often in our lives do we do the same thing in the sense that we invite the Lord Jesus Christ to attend our life? 
in some capacity or another. Now, that's good. I'm glad you invite him to attend. But think about it. We, we uh, have our family, and we invite him to attend. We want him to be part of our family. We have a marriage. We invite him to be part of our marriage. We have academic life. The, the, the tests that my brother was talking about. I know many times I asked the Lord to be with me when I took an exam in university. I wanted him to attend. Uh, we could say that for all aspects. Work life, uh, recreation, this conference. But let me suggest something to you. The Lord does not merely want to attend anything in your life. In fact, when that is your uh, relationship with God, you're saying, God, be with me. God, attend this. I want to suggest to you that you're really missing who he is. And in a minute, we're going to see that Mary's going to point us to what he wants to be in our life. And I'll say it like this. Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He doesn't want to be part of your life, your life, your life, or your life. He doesn't want to be part of any of your lives. He wants all of it. He never came to be part of it. It says in Colossians 3.3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. When we merely invite him to attend something in our life, we're truly missing who he is. Is the God of, of the universe somebody that you merely invite to attend something? No, no, no. But that's not where it stops. Notice it goes on. At first, that's the phase, but then notice what Mary goes and says to her son. Follow along in this passage, and we see in verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, we all have had a mother in our life, or else you would not be here. And if you had a mother remotely like mine, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a difference between a question and a statement. And what Mary is doing here is, let me, let me phrase it in modern terminology. If your mother comes up to you and she says, the garbage is full. Is she uh, just letting you know the news for today? No. We all know what that means. Do something about it. Your bed's not made. How you don't say, Mom? That's shocking. The tablecloth is a little messy too, Mom. I mean, like, no, it's like we don't go there. We go make our bed. But, but when Mary says they have no wine, she's not just letting him know, hey, they ran out. She's saying, Lord, do something about it. But, but notice we're still missing the person of Jesus at this point because at first they invited him to attend. The second invitation is they're inviting him to assist. They don't have wine. We need your assistance. How often in our lives do we do the same thing? We want the Lord to assist our life. Now, that's not bad. I, I get it. Like, I ask the Lord to assist oftentimes. And in the beauty of the Lord's love, there is an element where he does assist, but that's still missing his person. And if you live life trying to do what you do and asking God to come alongside when simply you're not able, you're missing who he is. He's not an assistant He's not a Siri. He's not an, is it a Lexus? He's not her either. He's not an assistant. Now notice this though, and this comes back to James 1 perfectly. It says, 
when they had run out of wine, when the wine ran dry. And Mary says, they have no wine. Listen, when did they finally call on him to even assist? When it was desperate. You see this dependency that we referred to back in James 1? Here, the same problem is they're asking him to assist when they view the fact that they're desperate. Okay, pause. Don't miss this. Do we cry out to God merely in desperation? Well, that's not wrong. Here's what's wrong. The problem is not that we fail, or the problem is not that we cry out to God in desperation. The problem is we fail to realize we're always desperate for him. See, so often we live off self-dependency. We have to like, and that's the blessing of trials. That's the blessing of testings. Because just like Ken shared with us, we come to this point of recognizing, I can't do it. Well, in reality, you could never do it. But the grace of God has sustained you to where anything that's even been done has been possible by his strength. But now he's showing you his person and faith becomes sight in desperate times. And it also becomes sight for those around us in desperate times to see in on our life and see the goodness of our God working through us when we have no reason maybe to be, re- be responding in the way that they think is an appropriate response. So I want to encourage you, recognize your desperation on God. Because when you do, the world's not going to see God merely in Good or bad times, they'll see him in good times. They'll recognize every moment, I cannot, but for the grace of God in my life. So are we inviting him merely to attend or to assist in our life? Let's just pause for one little second and let's take a little an aside. I want you to see how Mary is in this journey of learning. First of all, did you notice how she's referred to in this passage? And let me ask the question like this. How many times is Mary's name mentioned in that portion I read? The answer is none. Mary's never actually mentioned by name. What is her title? Her title is the mother of Jesus, his mother. Now that's vital because get it, get it, get it. Her identity was solely in her son. In other words, it's all about her relationship to her son. And that's going to be true of our lives too. When we recognize our dependency, we're going to recognize that our entire being is in who Jesus Christ is. And I love that about her. But there's something else. We'll come back to, 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 to uh, Mary's role in the story in just a minute. But, but keep going. He's invited to attend. He's invited to assist. But what does the Lord want? The Lord wants the third part. Look at this. He says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And now look at what Mary says in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. If at first he was invited to attend, and then he, or, and then he was invited to assist, now he's invited to administrate. He's in charge. In other words, she says, all right, I don't know what he's going to do, but whatever he says, just do it. See, this week, as we look at six different aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ, today we're looking at faith in his person. We're not looking at faith in what we know about him. It's faith in knowing him. It's not about our knowledge or the capacity we have to understand because we know from Proverbs 3, we don't lean on our own understanding. We lean on who we know and who we know is him. So what she says is, 
Do whatever he tells you. And this is where, when we come to that point where we say, Lord, it's in your hands. And, and, and what, what, what has he told us? Well, we're going to come to that more, but he's given us his word. We walk on his word. Listen, there are things in the word of God I know you don't get and I don't get. But you understand what it means to say, do all things without complaining or disputing? It means complaining is always a wicked activity in the light of God's holiness. When you complain, you're saying, my God's not fully good. When you worry, you say, my God might not be good in the future. Start there. Do whatever he tells you. You say, I don't know why I'm doing it because it really does not seem ideal. And you say, I, I don't have to understand. I don't understand. It doesn't seem ideal, but I know my God's good because I know who he is. So let's just walk on that. In everything, give thanks. I don't feel like giving thanks. It's really not my feeling right now, but I'm okay. Do whatever he tells you. Invitation to administrate. Now, don't you love the fact that Mary, this one who's praised by so many, this is the last time she speaks in all of scripture. She steps off the stage. She's there. She's there in his ministry. She's there at the cross. She's there in the upper room. She never speaks again. This is the last phrase of Mary in scripture. Points to her son, do whatever he tells you, and steps down. Is that not a great message for all of us? May our lives be that for the world around us. Point to Christ and get out of there. Show the world what he looks like. Be a follower of him. But the focus is never on us. So the first thing we see here is we see this invitation. But let's get to the incident because the incident is oh so practical. At first we see this invitation that he wants to administrate in our lives. What does his administration look like? Well, verse 6. Now there were... Six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Let's start simply here and just recognize the Lord works with what's right in front of him. So often I think we use as an excuse something we don't have. Look at the Lord's never looking for what you don't have. He wants you. Remember with Moses in Exodus chapter 4 verse 2? What's in your hand, Moses? A staff. All right, let me work with that. By the time you get down to chapter 4 verse 20 in Exodus, do you know what that staff is called? It goes from being a staff. 18 verses later, it's called the staff of God. It was just a staff 18 verses ago. But when it was surrendered to the hand of the almighty God, it's now God's staff. Remember when Moses lifted his right hand over and the water is separated? That's Exodus 14. In Exodus 15, do you know what they're saying in their song? They said, your right hand, O Lord. You know what that tells me? They didn't see Moses' right hand. They saw God's right hand. Imagine a life where the world does not see you because you're simply surrendering to the administrator what you have, and he takes it and he uses it. There were six stone water jars there. Six, we know, incomplete. I'm not going to focus on this. In fact, if you want to like look into this more, you're going to have to do your own research, and uh, you can head on back to don't don't go now, but like you can head on back to Numbers, and you can see uh, how these stone water jars were used. Especially go to Numbers chapter 19 and uh, verses says, start in verse 17, go down to like verse 22. You'll find an amazing journey, but incomplete. So what does God do with this? He says, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, the servants have an attitude that I oftentimes miss because, uh, again, going back to my childhood, uh, we, I lived over in Senegal, West Africa, and 
we had one of these uh, water sources where the water just came out so slowly, especially when it's being filtered, and it's just like a trickle. So my mom said, like, you know, fill up the, the glasses with water before a meal. It was an annoying process of slowness, right? And we had these large glasses. I mean, you're supposed to stay, hi- stay hydrated when you live in the desert, right? So she said, fill them up. What would I do? I would, like, fill them up, but really two-thirds full would be full in my definition of it. So with that being said, it was really never full. But as long as I didn't get in trouble for not filling the glasses, that was my definition of having done my job. But I want you to see what these servants did. When the Lord said, fill these water jars with water, these water pots with water, it says they filled them to the brim. Now, the only people in this entire amphitheater that are not impressed are those that have never drawn water from a well. Let me do a little survey. How many of you have actually physically drawn water from a well? You're the ones impressed when I say drawing 180 gallons is not easy. Because if your bag is anything full and you're pulling it up, that's heavy. So you want a smaller bag. And that means there's a lot of pulling. I mean, if it's a shallow well of 50 to 70 feet, that's shallow, that's still an incredible workout. You don't believe me? Come visit me in Niger. I'll have you pull water out of a well. But get this. Even though it was not an easy process, they filled it to the brim. Let's make a simple statement with profound implications. Are you ready? Complete obedience yields abundant blessing. Complete obedience yields abundant blessing. Let me ask you a question just in your life, my life. Where in your life are you obeying God's word, but you're not obeying it to the brim? Now, now listen, I'm not saying that in a judgmental, accusatory way. I'm not saying it like a God's ticked off at you. I'm saying you're missing intimacy and you're missing opportunity. Uh, I'll make this super practical, all right? Take a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. You know it where Paul's exhorting his son in the faith to be an example, starting in speech, in conduct, in purity, right? All right, pause, pause, pause. Let's just think about this. What would it look like? Just seriously, today, don't think tomorrow, because you think about tomorrow, you won't do it today, all right? What would it think, be like if in your life you said, okay, Lord, you said fill it to the, you said fill those water pots with water. I'm going to fill it to the brim. What would it look like if in your speech today you filled your mouth to the brim with obedience. All right, so that means no corrupt word. Ephesians 4, 29. No corrupt word proceeds out of your mouth. Everything that comes out of your mouth blesses other people. There's no gossip or slander. There's no complaining or worrying. Like absolutely everything brings glory to God. Imagine if only your mouth was hijacked by the Holy Spirit. Just your mouth. You would be such a person where not only would people want to be around you, but everyone around you would know the grace of God. That's just your mouth. Now, let's take another aspect. What about your conduct? Take a passage like Titus 2, 6 to 8, where he talks to the young men about being above reproach. What if you said, I'm not just going to be obedient to the word of God. I want to be so obedient that if people look at my life from any angle, they cannot even suggest a hint of sin. Now, I understand we live in a world that's going to look for a lot, but what if we wanted to be filled to the brim with obedience? Notice these servants. They didn't just choose to obey. 
They're like, I want everything he has. Do whatever he tells me. And I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it all the way. What would it look like in love? What if we loved to the brim? Like, what if our love suffered long and was kind? What if our love did not envy? What if our love did not parade itself? What if our love was not puffed up? What if our love truly was in humility? What would that look like? I, I just wonder, what would a church that obeys the brim be like? All I can imagine is this. The world would see what the folks saw in Acts 4.13 when they looked at Peter and John and they said, these guys have been with Jesus. That's a, that's a lot of wine that we're about to have here, all right? So we've got 180 gallons filled to the brim. But now look at what the Lord Jesus says to them. And the statement is quite simple. He says this. Now, you filled it up. You, you've obeyed to the brim. Your speech is to the brim. Your love's to the brim. Your conduct's to the brim. Now, 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 now. Draw some out. And take it to the master of the feast. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Sometimes does it seem like the Lord misses the point? Because in your life, you say, I need a certain something. You fill in the blank. I need a good grade. <laughs> I need health. Because right now I've got cancer. I, I need money. Because right now all I got is coins in my cupboard. I, I need what? You fill in the blank. Sometimes you say, I need something, and then what does the Lord do? He says, oh, you need wine? Put water in there. You say, oh, I think you missed it, Lord. I, I said I need wine. Yeah, yeah, fill it with water. Okay. Now draw some out and take it to the feast. Wait, wait. I, I know. I, I did that. I, I obeyed to the brim. That's still water. And the Lord says, draw some out. But, but, Lord, that's my boss. And he's not drunk because he's actually running the wedding. And I'm accusing him of being so drunk that he doesn't know the difference between water and like a, a Chardonnay. I mean, like, this is serious business. Like, what's going on? It takes him out. Let me, I don't know how else to say it. There's always risk in faith. If you have no risk in your life for the Lord... If there's not a platform where you're going to look really stupid if the Lord fails you, chances are you're not walking in faith. Because when you step out on the word of God, you are putting yourself in a position where if God does not come through for you, you look like a failure. Is that your life right now? Or is the Lord just a backup plan or maybe your primary option, but you have a backup plan? That's not faith. That's just logic. See, here's the thing. Don't miss this. I'll say it slow and I'll say it twice. If you obey the Lord Jesus only when you understand what he's asking, you treat him as a teacher. But if you obey the Lord Jesus Christ, even when you have no clue what he's asking you to do, that's when you honor him as Lord. Say it again. When you obey the Lord Jesus, when you understand what he's asking you to do, yeah, you, you treat him like a good teacher. But when you obey him, when he makes no sense to you, but you know who he is, and you say, I'm going to walk on that water regardless, that's when you say, you are my Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, where do you know the Lord says something to you, but you're just, you're just saying, I just don't quite get it yet. 
The Lord's never asked you to get it. It's to get him. Do we have faith in his person like these servants did? Now, we're going to see a beautiful lesson that is going to just be reiterated throughout the Gospels, reiterated throughout Scripture, and reiterated throughout our experience. But notice what happens in this incident. They took it. And the master of the feast, he sees that it's legit. It's good wine. In fact, everyone's surprised that they waited so long to serve the good wine. But there's one phrase in this passage that blows my mind. This, this, this phrase is hidden in a parenthesis. In fact, it's so hidden that I don't know how many times I studied this passage before I even noticed it. You probably noticed it a lot faster than I did, but I didn't notice it. Notice this phrase. Head down to verse 9. Watch what happens. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Guys, in this whole story, when the story ends, when Christ is back with his disciples having this few days of retreat, who were the only people that actually knew what had gone on? His disciples, I guess, and these servants. I don't think the wedding guests knew. I don't think they, they had the details. The Lord didn't seem it necessary, I guess, to like make sure everybody knew what had happened. But notice the servants who had drawn the water knew. Let's phrase this simply for us to think about. Obedience to the word of God leads to intimacy with the Lord. I'm not talking about you're earning anything. I'm saying you're trusting someone. When you trust God's word at face value, so many times we pray this prayer, Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, I, 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 want, I want to be near to your heart. I want nothing between my soul and my Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing, nothing preventing the least of his favor. May the, may the wages be kept clear. Nothing between. Okay, we say that. The pathway is laid out. It's obedience. Obedience to the word. What we know. What the Holy Spirit has convicted us on. It's not complicated. You're a little younger than me, but you can have that obedience to the Lord and intimacy with him in a way I'm not enjoying simply because you're obeying what you know. It's not about what you don't know. It's about what are you being convicted on right now. Remember John chapter 10, verse 21? He who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me, and he, my father, will love, and I will love, and what's that last line? And I will manifest myself to him. God shows himself to those that trust him in his word, that walk in his word. It's not that God's seeking to hide himself from you. It's God wants to show himself to those that are willing to say, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's not a floodlight. I don't see the whole journey. I just see the next step and I'm going to take it by faith. Do you think anyone here really doesn't know the next step? You say, I don't know that next. You're probably looking down the road. The next step is this morning. This next step is right now. Before our, our rear ends get out of the seat, our next step is, what is our obedience to the word of God we heard? From John 2, from James 1, or wherever the Holy Spirit led you. Are we going to respond? Sometimes our first response is, 
confession and repentance before the Lord saying, Lord, I, I know that I've been inviting you to attend my life. Or I've asked you to help me out a lot. Oh, but I, I haven't passed over the reins. I, I want to just add, let, let the Holy Spirit tell you where, where is that true in your life? Where is he convicting you? Maybe, maybe just start with confessing it and saying, Lord, I, I turn to you and I, I need you to communicate to me that first step. Maybe the word of God has just hit your life and you say, that is so not true in me. I know I'm a complainer. I, I, I know that, that uh, unlike Mary, my identity is an idolatry. I'm known for my work. I'm known for my position in the local church. I'm known for my, 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 my loudness. I'm known for this. I don't know. Is your identity hidden in Christ so that when people see you, they just see Jesus? Don't feel condemned. Feel convicted. If the Holy Spirit speaking to you, get excited when he talks to you. Conviction is a beautiful thing intended to mold us more into the image of Jesus, not to discourage us from obedience. With that being said, we see this incident occur and we see that intimacy belongs to the servants. Did you notice the servants never open their mouth? I love that. They're silent the whole time. It means that God doesn't need loud people. God doesn't need those that have incredible gifts. You know what he needs? He needs people that can do this. That wasn't complicated, was it? They had intimacy. No one, no one does not have the opportunity with intimacy with God today. No one. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about who brought you to the table. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, we come to the importance of this whole thing. Do you notice what it's called? It's called a sign. Why is it a sign? Well, when I was driving up to Yosemite, uh, first of all, I took the route that the fire was on. So I had to do a little two and a half hour detour up north to find another entrance to the park. But that being said, there were a lot of signs along the way. Now imagine as I'm driving... And I come to a sign that says Yosemite, 41 miles. What if I get out of my car and say, I'm here. I'm done. Like, let me get a picture. I'll take a selfie. It's on Instagram. Like, it's not really. So don't, don't go check my Instagram. There's no, no picture of Yosemite 41 miles away. But imagine I stopped and you say, that's foolish. That's a sign. No one focuses on a sign. A sign points you to the destination. A sign is never the destination. Okay, hang on. This is a sign. If I just stop right here and I just say, that's it, I'm missing something. There's an importance in all of this that we can't neglect. The Lord says this is the first of his signs. Did you notice what he said to his mother? First thing he says, my hour has not yet come. And then he does it. Well, okay, wait, wait, wait. If you say my hour has not yet come, why are you just doing exactly what they want? He's making sure they understand. He's showing who he is. But this is all a picture of something more. You see, in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, there comes a place where Jesus Christ say, or says in the word of God, now when the hour had come. And you know, that hour included another cup of wine. And that hour included another celebration of a wedding that would be. 
And what was that cup? It was the cup the Lord Jesus took on the night in which he was betrayed. And now, this is not merely some cup of wine at a wedding. He says, this is my cup. Take of it, drink of it, all of you. This is the sign of the covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. See, what he's showing us is all of this is beautiful, but it's beautiful because we're invited to another wedding. We're invited into another relationship. And this is a relationship where he took the cup of God's wrath, where now he invites us to partake of the cup of his celebration. Think about this. The whole book of John is a beautiful uh, juxtaposition between the Old, te- the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament. But think about it like this, because in the beginning, it says in uh, John 1, 17, I believe it is, where the law comes through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. When Moses came with the law, what was the first sign or the first real uh, plague on Egypt? Well, water became what? Blood. And that was condemnation. What's the first thing Jesus Christ brings? He says, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So his first was water to wine. Not condemnation, but celebration. You see, the lawgiver brought death. The life giver brought joy. And what we see in this beautiful picture is we're not entrusting the administration of our life to someone who just wants to rule over us. We're trusting everything to the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. We're trusting ourselves to the very Son of God who says, my hour is when I give my blood for you. You see, when when Mary says, do whatever he tells you, that's not a big deal when you know how much he loves you. In fact, it's the only reasonable response as Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell us. So I close this morning by asking you, are you putting your faith in what God does? Or are you putting your faith in who God is? Because the difference will manifest in the way we respond to his word. We're not going to obey because we have to. Uh Uh-uh. That's very religious of you. You're going to obey, get this, because you get to. You're going to obey because you want to know him intimately. And he says, obedience is the route to intimacy. I want you to know me. I want you to enjoy me. And the key is this. Do whatever I tell you. I'm not saying it for your condemnation. I'm saying it for your celebration. Do we have faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it's truth. We thank you for the beauty that is locked into this first sign that you showed in Cana of Galilee. And Lord, as we contemplate these things, oh, may we not feel condemned, but may we feel convicted. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is a reasonable response, and that is that we ought to be fully dependent on you, not when we feel like it, but recognizing every moment, I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. Oh God, may we be a body of believers that does not demand understanding, 
but simply desires intimacy. Thank you that you are for us and not against us and that your love for us is greater than our love for you. We trust in that love. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.